Hello and welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. I'm Tori and this is my best friend Holland. Hello. If you're new to our show, we rank various forms of entertainment by different categories out of a total score of 10, with only two points allowed for our personal taste. Don't worry, we break everything down as we go. So feel free to agree, disagree, or just find something new to enjoy. Just be sure to tread lightly, there will be hot takes and spoilers. Cut to the intro. Okay, so today I chose Twilight for us to review. This was very familiar to me and blind to Holland. Um, if this is new to you, here's some spoiler-free background before we get into scoring stuff. So Twilight was a film released um, November 22nd, 2008. It's based on the 2005 novel by Stephanie Meyer. Which we're reviewing the film the for film, this episode. Yes. Um, directed by Catherine Hardwick, uh, and the screenplay was done by Melissa Rosenberg. It was produced by Greg Meradian, Mark Morgan, and Wick Godfrey, with a running time of 121 minutes. The top five stars were Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, Billy Burke, Peter Fascinelli, and Taylor Lautner. The synopsis for this movie. If you Google the words Twilight Film Synopsis, this is what Google has at the top of the screen. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Okay, here we go. High school student Bella Swan, played by Kristen Stewart, always a bit of a misfit, doesn't expect life to change much when she moves from sunny Arizona to rainy Washington State. Then she meets Edward Cullen, played by Robert Pattinson, a handsome but mysterious teen whose eyes seem to peer directly into her soul. Edward is a vampire whose family does not drink blood, and Bella, far from being frightened, enters into a dangerous romance with her immortal soulmate. That's what Google says. <laughs> that's, that's what Google says. Did somebody on Wattpad write that? <laughs> Probably. I mean... That sounds like a Wattpad description, and I don't even read Wattpad. Did you like how I read it? Yeah, that was a great dramatic Thank reading. Thank you. I yeah. was really trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. It was really good. So anyway, with that being said... Which, I mean, does that technically have spoilers? No, I don't think so. That's It's established stuff from the beginning. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. I, I feel like you would have to be somewhere without books to, <laughs> to not know the synop the general synopsis of twilight right but so now that we have that general synopsis out of the way holland why don't you kick us off with our first category all right so our first category for movies is plot and story delivery so total possible score of two i gave this zero points <laughs> out of two and all you twilight people are just gonna hate me this whole episode because I just don't have a lot of nice things to say about this movie. So go ahead and get your tissues ready to cry, and I don't care. But this plot is one of the worst plots of a movie 
And we watched Persuasion, okay? <laughs> and reviewed that. And reviewed that one. in season one of our, our podcast. Um, so, I mean, just opening the movie is Kristen Stewart's character is narrating, which already, just straight out of the gate, is I'm not a fan of. I just think narration in film, I understand that a lot of films use narration to try and give you that inner monologue of the the um, that comes from the protagonist in the book because it's usually a first-person narrator. I don't know if the book was written from a first-person narrator's perspective, but I understand that a lot of times with narration, you're trying to use that in order to convey that inner monologue of your character. But I also think it's kind of lazy. Like, if you need that to tell a story, it's already, you're just kind of half, you know halfway doing your job so that right out of the gate I'm like great narration boring you know it's almost as bad as reading the beginning of your of your movie but you know you give it a pass this movie came out in 2008 so I did try and kind of remember like what films were coming out at that time and the, the standards for films are different the artistic style of films are different uh but um yeah, so that, right out of the gate, I was just like, oh, great. This is not ideal. Um, in general, the, like, straight out of the gate, you establish that, like, this girl is moved from a town that she loves with her mom, who she loves and gets along with and gets along with her, uh, I don't know if it's her stepdad or just her mom's boyfriend or whatever, and now she's going to live with her dad, and I don't like my dad, and... I mean, that alone is just a really overdone plot, even for the early to mid-2000s. Like, it's an overdone plot. I mean, you have this angsty-ish teen, and she's, you know, living with her dad. And I don't like you, dad. I mean, just already, it's just kind of an overdone, boring plot. But I get it. It's the catalyst. I'll give them a little bit of credit. It's not the main concept of the whole plot. But just starting out of the gate, it's just, you know... Overdone, overplayed, simplistic. And then we show Bella, who's very socially awkward, even with her dad, which you kind of chalk that up to the fact like, okay, it's her dad. She doesn't really have a relationship with him. Like maybe she's just a little awkward in general because she's a teenager and she's not getting along with her dad. And then she proceeds to be completely awkward. And everyone at the school is just completely obsessed with her. Like completely obsessed. Where's that coming from? It's not like she came walking in and it's like the cheerleader socialite that everybody's obsessed with. Well, and the weird thing is that like, I would kind of understand if it, if it's like, okay, Forks is a small town. She establishes that. So probably new kid at school is like a very like big deal anyway. But because of how she is, you would think that like two days in, everybody would be like, she kind of weird. Like, right, right. We're done. And like, I mean, I think anybody who's ever been a teenager knows that, like, teenagers are mean. Like, they're not going to go out of their way to obsess over somebody who doesn't fit the status quo or isn't, like, coming in to be the new queen bee. I mean, so it's just, it, it makes no sense. There's already, and that's, like, the first five minutes of the movie. And so just getting into that as your setup for the plot is just so bizarre. And then we get in and there's just a lot of plot things that just don't make sense. I feel like that sets up for the fact that just the majority of this plot is just very thin and doesn't make a lot of sense. So 
proceeding into the film, I'm not going to like break down the entire film like this, but just, this is just kind of where my notes were just initially. So the, the part where the Cullen family comes in, like they're, yeah, comes into the school cafeteria or whatever. It's like, all of a sudden they like captivate the whole room when they come in, but that would be like a tropey overdone plot point, except that they captivate the whole room walking outside of the building through windows that have half pulled shades pulled yeah. down. So that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then they come in and I didn't put this in, in I'll talk about this later, but they come in and there's all these kids that look about the same age and they're all foster kids. This, this, this is a story is that they're mm-hmm. all foster kids of Mr. and Mrs. Cullen are their foster parents, then why do they all have the last names of their foster parents? That's not a thing. If you're a foster child, your legal name is the name you were born with. Your foster parents don't just change your name because they're fostering you. Your parents change their change your name if and when they adopt you and they're now legally your parents or your guardians. And even then, a lot of kids who were former foster kids choose to keep their same last name. So why do all of these kids... Well, three out of five of them, but still, ...have yes. the same last name as the this, their foster parents? Like, I, that, what? Who, nobody even thought through that. I, it's like a... I wonder a, if... I don't remember if the book said that, like, Emmett, Edward, and Alice were, like, officially adopted in the story. I wonder if that was an oversight in the book, too. I don't remember. Um, but you're right. Three out of five of them have the last name Cullen, and if they are only foster kids, that doesn't make right. any sense. So it's like, are the Cullen family, is the Cullen family so dense that they can't come up with a better cover story? Because later we find out, oh, it's because they're all vampires, and they're all from different time periods, and right. they all live together in this little vampire family. Like, mm-hmm. okay, like, I get that. So they're not foster kids. They're just all living together. So... Either the author has severe oversight here of something that's so rudimentary. It takes a Google search to find out what your what if a fo- if a foster child has the legal name of their foster parent right. or not, or it's an oversight of the Cullens as characters. And it's like I thought these people were supposed to be like the coolest people ever, and like they're really smart and they're great at hiding the fact that they're vampires, and yet they can't even like navigate, understand the concept of the American foster system that they can't even cover their last name appropriately it's just that alone as soon as they said that and again this is in the first like seven minutes of the movie and I'm like this already makes no sense I found like six things in this plot that are just really weak and nonsensical and Uh could have been solved with a google search so that alone is just I mean that's just the whole plot of this movie that just is like a little snapshot of my reaction this whole movie I'm sorry I keep butting in or making good points. I think if part of that, I wonder if part of that is indicative to the fact of the demographic that this, these novels were like geared toward. Cause like what 14 year old girl is going to care? You know what I mean? A foster kid? I guess so. That's true. That's true. Good point. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving on to the plot. I mean, I think there's a lot of criticism of people with Twilight, and I don't disagree with it, but I'm going to try and avoid harping on a lot of the 
criticism of Twilight as far as like Bella and Edward's relationship and you know is it a toxic relationship it's not romantic it seems you know just just very bizarre and not really what you should want modeled for your your teenage child I, I agree with all of those kind of uh, criticisms of the plot so I'm just going to kind of avoid going down the route that's already been evaluated by numerous commentators so kind of steering away from just the romantic problems of this plot the whole movie just has so many plot holes in it. For example, the whole climactic scene where Bella is going to find, she confronts Edward and like finds out that he's, she's doing all this research and mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the whole part of that, it's this really intense, you know, supposedly dramatic scene. And she's connecting all these dots. We like watched her like do this research and like about these mysterious, mysterious creatures slash people and they're probably vampires and so she's connecting all these dots to link edward to this mythological creature which has never been called a vampire but for some reason bella connects that this creature that has multiple mythical names across multiple different cultures that that is a vampire when we never see the word vampire. And then she just comes to the conclusion, oh, all these mythical creatures, you're a vampire. That, that just, we're not even talking about vampire things. It's not even coming to the conclusion that, oh, you're a vampire. All the things that we know about vampires is what, is why I know you're a vampire. It's like, no, why wouldn't she call him like what that mythical creature? There's like the a cold ones is what the cold Jacob ones mentions to her first. Right. And then when she looks in the book, it has like a like indigenous name. And mm-hmm. like in Egypt, it has an Egyptian name. Right. It's not like there's nowhere do we see like, oh, a vampire. That mm-hmm. must be what. So she just connects all these dots and is like, oh, you're not this mythical creature. I just researched. You're a vampire, which it's just, again, it's like, could we not do a Google search or just like, you know, find somehow give a visual cue to your audience that like the vampire is the end conclusion? I feel like vampire is one of the quick montage words that we see when she's on the website, but it's like so quick. It's just like boom, 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 boom. That like it's the only, and it's it's really not like lingered on. Like it would almost make more sense if that word vampire was like where she ended on her like website searching. Right. Like, oh. Right. But it's just so fast. It's like easy to gloss over. But I do think that we see the word vampire like on her screen, but the cuts are so quick. It's like boom, 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 and so it really doesn't feel. Yeah. But like, it wasn't, I mean. It'd I'm, be like me looking through like a fey encyclopedia being like siren, fairy, you know? And you're like, oh, so what are you? Gnome. Like, you know? Right. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I guess we just pulled one of those out of the Yeah, shelf. so it does. It feels like, it, it doesn't really feel like a, like a natural conclusion. Right. And then all of the things about the vampires that she like connects like your skin is really cold and like all of the attributes she's describing fast right it's the least monstrous monster you've (laughs) ever heard described to you yeah like ever i mean except for the fact that 
they're supposed to drink human blood, uh-huh. which isn't even really mentioned. Right. Like, it's completely glossed over. It's not over. until Edward says, well, then tell me, what do we drink? You know, it's like not until he asks her the question that we even talk about that. Right. And even then, it's so glossed over so quickly it's like we're trying to build all this tension in the plot that he's this horrible, dangerous monster. And he's like the least monstrous monster you've ever heard of or seen in your life. And except for the fact that he stands over her bed at night and watches her sleep <laughs> and is a stalker. I mean, that's the most monstrous part of this horrifying vampire monster with glitter skin. This is the skin of a killer. No, maybe the skin of a killer is somebody who stands over my bed at night and watches me sleep. Like, like you can't even, like, connect these dots here that, like, this is such toxic, like... This is going to be a really long episode. I know. I mean, it's there's so many things wrong with the plot of this uh-huh. movie. I can't even unpack them all in this episode. I'm just making, I'm just going off of some of the notes that I just, I was so stunned in watching this movie well, at I, its atrocities. D- quick, quick aside here. So I, when I picked this, I picked it for the lules, obviously. And I told Holland that I wanted to be there when she watched it for the first time. So we did watch it together. And for me, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you find out that these vampires have like superpowers. They're like super fast and they can climb trees and they just like, oh my gosh, it's like you're a superhero. It's not really a vampire, except that you're cold and your skin glitters and oh. Need some iron supplements. Right. You're anemic and because <laughs> you need more blood to drink. And it's like the, nothing about these, these creatures are scary and then when we finally do meet the bad guys, there's no antagonist in this movie. That's another problem I have with this plot. There's no antagonist in this movie. The antagonist, quote unquote, is Bella discovering that Edward is this monster that's not really a monster because it's not even scary or dangerous, except that he's acting like a dangerous human being by stalking her. And then we finally do see these dangerous, quote unquote, vampires and this one vampire that wants to hunt Bella, it's the last, like, 30 minutes of mm-hmm. the movie. If that, it's probably closer to, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie. And even then, there's not really any sense of danger because there's one of these guys going after Bella. And there's, like, how many Cullens that are helping Bella? Like, six? Seven. Seven? So it's like, I'm not even really worried because it's seven to one. It's like, if there was some kind of plot point... That like, oh, it's because we don't drink human blood, we're weaker than normal vampires. So that's why we have to, you know, work together and stay together. And I mean, we could, that could have been such a simple fix to give them a real threat of these vampires that do kill humans and are dangerous predators. Then sure, now we could be worried for Bella's safety because the Cullens are weaker or they're not as, as like their superpowers aren't as amped up if they don't drink human blood. You know, something like that could have been such a simple fix because... Even when we finally see, okay, here are these monster vampires that are actually the danger that Edward would be if he was killing people, then we're not even afraid that, like, here's this dangerous potential. Edward's walking this razor's edge. He's, like, not this whole movie. And now we're not even afraid of the bad guys. So there's no, like, 
real danger. We can't even feel a sense of danger for Bella because Edward is just, I mean, he's not even, he doesn't even act dangerously towards, towards Bella. It's like the, the classic monster films, like, like Lon Chaney playing the Wolfman. It's like you have this really human approachable person and then he turns into this horrible wolfman monster and now is very dangerous. <clears throat> True. And Edward never has that kind of moment happen with him or anybody in his family. Mm-hmm. So we never feel this real sense of peril. We're just taking his word that he is this potentially dangerous creature and he's immortal and he can't go out in the sun. And for some reason, he really likes Bella even though she's so socially awkward, she's the most socially awkward and like odd character in the whole film. Like, why is he attracted to her? Like, so the whole crux of the plot, which is this romance that doesn't really feel like a romance because they've known each other for four days. The whole movie takes place across the span of maybe a month. Yeah. It's like all of these factors don't give us any reason to care for these characters and they don't give us any reason to like be worried that something bad is going to happen to them. The whole plot is just like, I'm figuring out what a vampire is. Oh, here's a bad guy at the end of the movie and he, he dies within 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like, so overall the plot just feels so weak and shallow. I can't even get really engaged in the structure of the plot. And then in addition, there's all these like weird things that don't make sense. Like the fact that they're, foster kids with the last appropriate last name. And I get that I'm like an adult watching this movie and this movie, no, the, the target audience of this movie is like teenagers. Teenagers aren't stupid. True. You don't need to like make, you, you don't have to, that's because it's for teenagers. It's not the, it's not a valid excuse to not to have lazy writing. Yeah. To have lazy writing yeah. and not think through your plot holes. Some other things that I thought was just ridiculous. Um, just really tropey was when Bella's at the bookstore or whatever and she's leaving and all those guys gang up on her and like we have no reason to even suspect why are they ganging up on her and now she was like they're trying to rob her and take her money then sure but Ed was like you don't know what those guys were thinking so apparently it was some form of assault that they were Mm -hmm. trying to do on Bella but that that's just so overdone and it's so weak and thready there it's like I'm not even really worried that she's in danger because this is so nonsensical Mm -hmm. that these five grown men are wanting to take advantage of a teenager at a bookstore in the world's smallest town. Like that just, it doesn't even make sense. It's not like she was, she walked down a dark alley or she was, you know, dropped her wallet and they were going to rob her. I mean, Spider-Man, you know, intervenes in those kinds of situations all the time. And there's like real motivation for somebody to be a victim and he comes in and saves the day, you know? Yeah. Um, the, I don't understand why the climax of the movie is a baseball showdown and nobody knows how to play baseball properly. (laughs) It's just like, this is the one thing you guys do together in your family activity. And yet you don't even play baseball, right? Like, and then they go have a baseball showdown and then go to a ballet studio. It's like, none of this makes sense. None of this was set up in your plot a long time. There's no significance to any of this. We just have a throwaway line that Bella says she can't dance. Then turns out she was a ballet dancer. Like 
there's no significance. Why should we care about right. that? And now we have these like integral location. It's just ridiculous. It's not like, oh, Edward's on the baseball team. And that's why I am attracted to him because he's an athlete. And I think that's really hot. Like we don't even go there. Yeah. Like he's just this brooding weird guy. And she's this <laughs> awkward weird Who girl. literally looks like he's going to vomit the first time he meets you. Yeah. And you know, some things we talk about with the dialogue is is kind of because it helps deliver the plot. Like, nobody can enunciate properly in this movie. Everybody mumbles their whole way through the movie. That annoyed me a lot. Wouldn't that be lot. an acting note? I don't know if that's... I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a directing note, okay. really. Okay. I mean, it could fall under characters for mm-hmm. the dialogue. But the writing feels like it was written by a fan fiction writer. It's not well-written dialogue. The one thing that I thought, and I, I don't know if this is... I guess it'll fall into character, so I'll cover it then. But it's just the plot, just it's so weak. And there's nothing in it that makes you care about any of these people. And it's not even an engaging story. It's not a, It's not new. It's not inventive. It's not innovative. I mean, you can go with the, with the concept of the vampires being new. But, you know, the, as far as their, their attributes and explaining why they, they behave the way they behave. But... Again, it's it never is really connected and none of those aspects that are like, this is who I am. I'm a vampire. Wow, let's learn about this mythical creature. None of that seems problematic. None of it seems interesting. None of it seems like it's something we want to learn and get to know more. It just all feels like this awkward teenage romance and, oh, by the way, there's a vampire. What does that mean? Well, we don't really have time to tell you about that because we're going to just focus on these two characters and their weird dynamic with each other. And it, to me, that's just not a good plot. It's just yeah. not a good plot. And we were talking about this after we watched the movie together that a lot of these issues and the lack of dynamic and interest interesting facets of a plot really could have been fixed if Edward and Bella had a pre-established relationship and now they're friends or maybe they are dating. Maybe they just are already a couple and then she finds out he has this big secret. And that already is more interesting of a plot because you're, you have this foundation of a relationship and now it's this, you can have the emotional plot points of she feels betrayed. She's kept a secret. She felt like she knew his family and now she doesn't. They have a secret too. And it could be a much more dynamic plot if she isn't trying to get to know this random boy that she likes at school. Oh, and he's a vampire. It just felt really clunky because we couldn't really do either of those things. We didn't really learn anything about Edward because we had got to learn about vampires. And we can't really learn anything about Bella because she's trying to just obsess over Edward. It just, it's all felt really awkward and not well put together. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe there were some good bones there at one point, but I don't know. I just don't think, I don't think you could even really say that. I think that's really being really generous. Um, one other plot point I had was if this is like the, this is like the smallest small town ever in the middle of Washington or wherever. And, um, it is Washington, right? Forks, yeah. Washington. For some reason I was thinking Oregon. Um, but I think, no, maybe was it filmed in Forks? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this, 
how does a town this tiny afford that elaborate of a prom? Like, they're in a school that's so small that if there's one new person, everybody obsesses over her like she's a piece of meat. And yet, they afford a prom that extravagant? Who's paying for that? Like, is their school board have, like, are they loaded? I mean, it's the goodness. Collins. I mean, it looked beautiful. To be fair, it looked beautiful on film. And uh-huh. I'll, you know, I'll mention that in aesthetics, but goodness, it's like the world's biggest prom <laughs> for the world's tiniest town. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I know that's kind of scattered. My, my review of this is as scattered as the plot of Twilight was and, you know, not very well, probably didn't sound very cohesive, but... It, there's just so much that you could spend like an hour just unpacking the plot of Twilight. And I don't want to do that. So um, those are just some of the notes I had. I Again, I didn't want to hit those huge topic issues that a lot of people talk about, you know, as far as the, the relationship between Edward and Bella and things like that. I, I'll cover some of that in the characters. But um, overall, I, I just I couldn't give it any credit for the plot. I just it zero out of 10. It was just terrible. So. So what's your score? Zero. <laughs> right. Out of two. Zero out of two for plot. Here we go. Okay. So for me, for plot and story delivery, out of two points, I gave it half a point. And I'll explain where that one little half point will come from, okay? So a lot of what you said is very valid. Um, the dialogue is so cringy. And not even just... if. And some people are going to be like, well, Bella's supposed to be awkward. Okay, then why is everybody's lines awkward? There are very few characters that I feel like don't come across awkward in regards to the dialogue. And I don't think that's necessarily the actor's fault. I think that it's just hard to deliver natural lines when the lines are not natural in any way. So I think that was definitely something... um, to be like considered in this. I'm not gonna have as much to say because some of my notes mirror yours, but there really is no meat to this story at all. Most of that is gonna be because the conflict, if you can even really call it that, is all self-caused with a really easy solution. And if you solved your self-caused problems, early in the story, you would just not have a story. So of course, it's going to feel angsty, desperate at times in a way that's not um, super relatable because Bella has all of these moments where she just decides she cannot do without Edward. And when you have not known somebody that long and you are 17 or however old they're supposed to be, there's only so much you can do with a story from that point. Like if your entire motivation for your character is that she cannot, has she's decided, not, it's not that she actually cannot be without Edward. It's that she has decided she can no longer function in life without this boy. That's it. That's the, that's the, that's the peak right there. And so if you try to build things off of that really shaky, weak, emotionally charged foundation, like you are building a house of sticks at that point. So that's why a lot of it is clunky and 
disjumbled and feels disgenuine a lot of the times because it's not a healthy example of storytelling. Um, and we have no reason why. There's no why. Yeah. Never are we explained why Bella is so obsessed with this boy the and why, why is, he's obsessed with her. Yeah, the why is they like each other. Okay, well, why do you like each other? We never find that answer. We never get the answer from them. And so if they could articulate something, maybe you're like, okay, like, I get it. And I, and I understand, like, sometimes people just catch your eye, catch your attention. And maybe at first you can't articulate. But by the time you're dating this person, you should be able to list off a few qualities. I don't know. Right. So anyway, there there's a lot of that. Because other than those self-inflicted conflicts... Um, you do have another conflict that comes in from an outside party. But again, it's in the very last like 30 minutes of the movie. It's very rushed. Your stakes don't really feel super high. And some people are probably going to argue like, well, they've been teasing through the whole movie that like some animal is going around killing people in town. Okay, but it's not really anybody that we have any investment in. So by the time Bella becomes the target, we're like, oh, Okay, this is happening very fast. Now, if we had had an established character that they had, like, sold us on, you know, we fall in love with this person, they're great, they're awesome, and then they get mauled by an unseen force, then you're like, oh, shoot. Now what? Now Bella's gonna get mauled by this thing. and But it's all just, like, people that they just talk about in passing, and it's not anybody that we saw long enough to, like, care about. So, I think by the time they get to the conflict and they're trucking Bella out of town, you know, Alice and Jasper are, that the only person that I have any concern for is Charlie. Because I'm like, Bella will be fine. Bella, Bella will be fine. It'll be fine. Like, it's fine. I don't care about her because I know it's going to be fine. Like, it's okay. And when you have no regard for the safety of your protagonist, that's a problem with your storytelling. So that's something to be, what's the opposite of commendation? I don't know. Cri criticized. That's something to be criticized, I think. The pacing of this is really odd. It's an hour and 10 minutes of, or an hour and an hour of, establishing what vampires are and the fact that Edward and Bella like each other. And then 30 minutes of rush, 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 fight, 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 fight. Oh no, gonna die. No, not gonna die. Everything's cool. Done. And then so you, it, it feels so unbalanced. The pacing, you have no way to like, you're just like chilling, you know, watching, maybe getting a little sleepy. And then you're like, oh, things are happening. Oh, we're done. And that's how the movie goes. And flows like that, I think, are not super engaging, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, they're just not really engaging because you have to invest a lot of, like, wait time. And well, who wants to invest wait time in the beginning of the first movie in a series? Well, and they didn't even just commit and just make it a drama. It's like you don't have to have action to have a compelling story. There's True. a ton of movies out there that are extremely successful 
And but again, the shaky foundation means there's nowhere for you to go. Right. And so you can't even have a dramatic film. Like, you could have completely taken out the plot of the vampire, the bad vampires at the end. Mm-hmm. And it would have been, you could have just committed to making a drama. But then it's like they decided to make three quarters of one movie and a quarter of another movie and just smush them together. Right. So here's a question that I pose. Does this movie have a moral or a lesson? Is that the goal of Twilight? Is to teach us something? Well, it's not a cautionary tale because there's no poor consequences. Precisely. So there is no moral that you learn from this movie, nor that either of our protagonists learns from this movie. There is no lesson that we as a viewer or those protagonists learn. So from beginning to end, it's content with no, like, purpose and i think that's kind of what this movie can be boiled down to is there is no purpose if you gave us like one string like one lesson or moral or you know i don't know characteristic that we can learn or build okay but there's none of that there's nothing there's no purpose to this Um, So it really is just such a flat, shallow story, unfortunately. The reason, though, that I gave it half a point is because there are some good memes born from that dialogue. And they are memes that I have quoted for years. Things like, it's the fluorescence. Stupid line. Stupid line. But it's so funny to me. So I... I did give it half a point just for the memes and the humor, even though some of the memes and humor were not intended to be humorous. They have become humorous. And I think because of that, I see those memes and I just really laugh at them. Um, But it's really not because it was intended. So I couldn't give it anything more than that. I just wanted to like give it a little something because the, the humor in it has lent itself to... Um, pretty iconic and, and funny memes and quotable lines and weird stuff like that. You know, this is the skin of a killer, Bella. Please. <laughs> like, it's hilarious because it's he's glittering. So that's why it's funny. Um, so all of that to say, I didn't have as much to say, but half a point out of two for plot and story delivery. Alrighty. So characters, we have a total possible score of three. And I gave this zero out of three. So, shockingly, <laughs> zero out of three. Uh, for a lot of the same things that you kind of touched on with the plot, I, that is my reason for a lot of the, the focus of the characters and why I, I really couldn't give it any points because of that really, really shaky fi- foundation like you mentioned. And I kind of chalked that up to just poor character development. It's just, it's, it's these characters, particularly Edward and Bella, have zero chemistry absolutely zero chemistry i mean we in our last season if you want to take a listen the amazing spider-man with andrew garfield andrew garfield and emma stone have incredible chemistry palpable yeah i mean you could watch the whole movie and just enjoy it because their chemistry is so good and it's like okay maybe this movie could have been redeemed if edward and bella had any chemistry but it's not the actor's fault necessarily Although, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never watched the two of them really interact. They dated after that movie for years. Oh, that's right. They did. I forgot about that. For years, they dated. But, I mean, 
it's not even, it's just the characters have nothing to go with for each other because there's no motivation as to why they care about each other. It's just, it's horrible. Um, the, I, I just have to, I also have to touch on the fact that Kristen Stewart, I, I really can't speak to her as an actress at all because I've never really seen her in anything, but her acting in this, we and we, we discussed this, like, is it Poor acting, is it poor directing? Because you've said many times in, in our episodes here that the majority of the time, it's not the actor's fault. It's the it's poor directing. And, but I don't know. I, I really don't know if this that's, case the, might if that's be the case. an exception yeah. to, to my typical rule. <laughs> she, her acting just, the, the fact, she just has this like excessive blinking and twitching and sighing. Her eyes dart around. Her speech is really stuttery. Like, she bites her lip. Like, all of these, like, mannerisms. It seems to me like Kristen Stewart made this deliberate choice to portray the character this way. I don't think a director told her to do all of those subtleties. I just... That's the impression I get. And it just makes the character feel so bizarre. She's more bizarre than the vampire characters in this movie. And the only decent line delivery she gave was when she says to her dad, thanks for the tires. It's a throwaway line that just is not connected to anything significant in the plot. And it's that one line, I deliberately wrote it down because she delivers that line and it feels like an organic statement from a daughter to her father. And that's the only moment that I could tell in this whole film where she just felt like a real human being and not a weird caricature or this weird directional move. And to be fair, I do have to say, I did look it up. Kristen Stewart turned 18 when she made this movie. So she's very, very young. And, you know, she's a teenager. So I can't be too harshly critical of this movie and or of her because she's really still an emerging actress at the time. But I just, I just think it's just a lot of poor decisions that she made. And... I don't even think it's a character choice because if you look at a movie, a film like Napoleon Dynamite, which every character in that film is so bizarre, but they all fit the world. We've established that this world is a bunch of weird, quirky characters and everybody's weird. And so everybody's weird in their own way, but they fit the world. And Kristen Stewart does not fit the world that she's in. It really feels like while you're watching this film with all of the characters that Kristen Stewart has chosen this creative direction for her character and all of the other actors and actresses are just like, they would be acting a little better, but they have to dial down to her level so that they fit the world that she's kind of created, but it's not the world that has been collectively decided to be the creative direction of the film. And that's kind of the way the whole, all of the characters feel. And for that, I just, I couldn't, that's the majority of the reason why I really couldn't give it any more than zero points because it just, it all feels so awkward. Edward is so unbelievable as a character. He likes Bella. He keeps all of this a secret and then he wants her to stay away from him. It's just, it's nonsensical. Again, the, like you said, n shallow foundation, no motivation behind these characters. None of it makes any sense. It's just all so strange. Um, Anna Kendrick is a fantastic addition to this, this movie. I think she is one of the best actresses in the film and she does a great job and I really enjoyed seeing her on screen. Um, but it, still, it's just weird seeing... It's just the way all of those characters interact with each other is just so bizarre. 
I don't have a lot of a lot of specific notes with characters just because I feel like that summation, all of the characters are just dull and boring. The the dialogue, like we said, they really don't have a lot to work with. Um, it's just, it's so bizarre and none of them have any chemistry with each other. It's, it almost, I, it's a disservice to even say it feels like a high school film production because I've seen high school films that are better than this film. And it, it's just, it's so bizarre and, I, so I don't have a lot of specific notes for that, more of a broad overview. Um, but and and it's really not just trying to knock on Kristen Stewart and her acting because all of the other actors have these weird like decisions that are made and mannerisms and just none of it feels believable. And it all kind of ties into the plot, like we've already mentioned, that you just don't care about any of them. You just can't care about any of them. And I feel like if you can't care about your characters in your film, you have and you have a weak plot, you have nothing to make a movie. So zero out of three, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I know we're already, we've already talked a whole lot about this movie. The biggest thing is, is also just, we don't know enough about any of the characters. We get no depth. There's no depth. There's no growth. There's no changes. Nobody has any kind of arc. It's just, it's flat and boring and dry. And it's like a stale cracker and you just want to not eat it. So zero out of three. Yeah. Okay. So for me, out of three points, I gave it half a point. Um, mostly I, I have to mirror a lot of what you said. There's no chemistry between Bella and Edward and that chemistry being missing really makes the movie feel like you're watching people that don't actually like each other. They spend the entire movie saying how much they like each other and how much they want to, you know, be together despite all the reasons they shouldn't be. And it's like the biggest motivation for them is just to be together. And they say all the time, well, really, Edward says all the time, how much that this shouldn't be this way and you should stay away from me and it's dangerous and blah, 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 blah. But they still pursue this romantic relationship despite all of that, well, then why don't you guys look like you care about each other or at least think each other is cute? Because the way you even look at each other isn't even like, like, you know how they have, like, there's the expression, like, you know, stars in your eyes. Like right. when you look at the person that you have a crush on. There's none of that. No. Sand stars, okay? Yeah. <laughs> there are no stars in either of their eyes. And so it's amazing to me that they actually dated real life because y'all don't like each other. I know. Y'all don't like each other. unbelievable. <laughs> like y'all don't like each other. Everyone in school, all the other characters, um, I think they are very humorous and funny. I do think that Anna can't Kendrick's character Jessica is the most interesting one of those um but also you have like Mike and Eric and Angela and they all kind of have like their little piece um I don't but see how you remember any of their names <laughs> that's another thing like I I could not tell you any of the of the minor characters couldn't even tell you their names let alone who they are like it's so I mean poorly I read developed. all growing up right so, so you have that background I have that background but because they, you have this, like, established friend group, you know, and they are kind enough to sort of bring Bella into their group. But when they do that, it makes Bella's awkwardness so stark. Because I get it, you're the new kid, so you are going to be slightly awkward, especially with this group of friends who already knows each other or whatever. But the fact that they try so hard to get her to, like, blend in, and it feels like she fights them. The whole way. So like when, for example, 
when Jessica and Angela and Bella are talking about prom coming up and they're kind of talking about that and they're like we should go dress shopping and Bella has already said she has no plans to go to prom because she turned down Mike and I think Eric both of them or maybe just Mike I don't remember who asked multiple offers okay which again makes no right. sense so bella has already established she has no plans of going to prom of course she ends up at the prom with Be- with edward anyway because you know screw you guys like i'm just gonna go i just didn't want to go with you you know right anyway so um so when she says can i go with you guys to go dress shopping we know as a viewer that that is she has an ulterior motive she's wanting to go to this weird bookstore in port angeles so when they say we want to go to Port Angeles for dress shopping, they're, they very nicely say, yes, please, come come with us. Come with us. We will have a fun friends day. And then they get there to the dress shop. And Bella's like not paying any attention at all. Any attention at all. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to catch up with y'all later. Okay, bye. And she leaves. What a jerk thing to do. So now we've established that not only is Bella awkward and doesn't even really fit in with this friend group, but now she's going to be rude to them when they have extended the invitation out to her. Like... She's like actively... Actively... Giving them the middle finger. Exactly. Like actively pushing away their attempts at creating a friendship bond with her. And it irritates me. But... It's sort of like the thing that she does even to Edward. She's very cold toward Edward and then claims that she like can't be without him. This is not making sense. Everything you say you want, you undermine for yourself through the whole movie. Well, and Edward does the exact opposite. He's like, you have to stay away from me. You can't be near and me. Then and, he, and then he's standing, standing over in her, her bed while she's trying to sleep. And gaslighting her that he just saved her life from a car. You don't know what you saw. I had a, it, it, it's called an adrenaline rush. You can Google it. That's a line, okay? <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't like either of you guys right now. Anyway, yes to your note also about Kristen Stewart's interpretation of Bella. Bella is slightly shy in the books. She's established as sort of an introvert. She likes being to herself, but she's never listed as awkward, nor does she have all of these like physical quirks that we see Kristen Stewart give Bella. The lip bites, the stuttering, lots of blinks, hard to keep focus. You know, it's like she almost can't look at somebody. Eye contact is very difficult to her. Again, if these are choices that Kristen Stewart made, okay, maybe not the best ones. They're very strange and they make Bella stranger than she already is. I'm of personal opinion that in your protagonist, you should be able to have one or two similarities that you see in yourself. Not always, but it helps when you can sort of be like, I also do that or I can think that way or whatever. It's helpful when your protagonist, and this is why I think sometimes some protagonists can be almost too broad in like their interests or characteristics. Um, But it does help when you as a viewer can relate. Yeah, there has to be a level of relatability. And there is no level of relatability between a viewer and Bella and a viewer and Edward. There could be, I guess, uh, a level of relatability between you and Bella, but I really hope there is not. Because 
you know, I feel like potentially there were teenagers growing up that were like, I'm just like Bella Swan. But I hope not. And as you... And if pro- if you did identify as Bella, I, I would hope not that, anymore. Well, yeah, I hope that you... you matured and, and learned from the world around you and and you didn't stay there and to be fair there are some people that do stay there and you know they have you know a lack of healthy relationships and they never really move past that into a healthy relationship mm-hmm. and that's very unfortunate for those people and you know but like you said that's not the general populace right right and so it's hard for like an adult now to look at Bella and find anything relatable in her other than the fact that in the book, which they don't even really establish this in the movie in the book, she likes to read. Okay. Well, we never saw that in the movie. So there's one thread of relatability that you missed out on. And just the way that she's portrayed is just so un unnatural. Like, and if she's trying to portray Bella, that maybe she has, you know, something that we don't see on the surface, you know, perhaps like, and I, I hate to, I hesitate to say this because I'm not assuming this. I'm just trying to understand what Kristen Stewart was doing. But maybe she's like, you know what, I think maybe Bella has a smidge of autism or something. Right. Then, okay, all right, but you're, still your portrayal doesn't seem super fair to those who may be able to relate on that level because it doesn't feel like the sorts of things that are really true to people that have people that have that. Right. So it just feels like Kristen Stewart came in and was like, I'm going to make these choices. And it just was so messy that by the end, you just can't like Bella. And it's difficult to watch an entire movie when you don't really like your protagonists, either of them. And on Edward's side, I feel like Edward's number one emotion is angst. And it gets so boring so fast. So boring so fast. Like, angst and, like desire i guess are his two biggest emotions which which angst always well i I shouldn't say always but the emotion of angst always comes from an unsatisfied desire right so i mean that's it that's all he has to go with he wants to be with bella but he feels like he shouldn't so he's angsty right so and it's just so flat because after you know two or three explanations that link back to your angst like okay i've heard it all like there's no more there's nowhere else for you to go and there's just no healthy basis execution or substance to this romance there's not there's not it's not like it's not like bella is insanely kind to edward when everybody else sort of like doesn't want to approach him because of, you know, his family and, like, the fact or it's that he's like, a little weird. Why couldn't, she- they, why couldn't they have made Kristen Stewart this, like, super awkward, like, pariah of the school that nobody wants to be friends with and Edward's the one person that's kind to her? Or, like, or that, other way around. Yeah. But, like, there's, there's no, like, s- nothing is really based on any sort of sense of, like, selflessness or sacrifice between them. Like, it would be one thing if, you know... You know, Edward is, like, actually kind to her and, like, ask her how she's doing and, like, do you need help with your homework? And But there's no actual, like, kindness extended from either party. It's it's just angst. And, and it's just so boring. Like, it really is. And the most interesting thing 
is the fact that he ain't human, but there's Even no actual stakes. Yeah like wagered in the fact of their relationship because it's like oh well i've been a quote unquote vegetarian for many many years so you good i mean we're all here in society acting like normal humans so like you good oh it'd be one thing if bella had like run into him camping and he was like not a vegetarian and then they hit off this weird romance which you know obviously would not also also would not endorse romance but it would be more interesting right. if he was like i want to kill you right now and i because i just killed a dude 20 minutes ago but like you kind of pretty so i'm not going to like at least it would be more interesting right. than what we get right still not an ideal example to set for anybody but right and the other thing is like you know, your char- like you said, your characters either have to have some level of relatability mm-hmm. or it has to be somebody you can idealize and aspire to be Correct. like. Right. And none of these characters have that either. Right. And let, let me talk about the Cullen family for a second. So um, I was going to talk about Jacob, but he's really, really a throwaway character in the first book and movie. So, like, I'm not even going to really talk about him at all. Um, but the Cullen family, you know, they're trying their, their darndest to, like welcome Bella into the, the to the family and like they make her dinner they're they're doing their best okay but everybody's like looking at Rosalie like you need to be nice to her actually I think Rosalie got a point okay she's maybe one of the more interesting Cullens especially in the beginning because she's like one of the ones that's very vocal about how like this is not a good idea you guys are dumb and stupid and so the part where they're all splitting up, like, we're going to take Bella to whatever, and, you know, we're going to chase a guy, and blah, 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 blah. And Edward throws Bella's coat at Rosalie and says, put this on so that the tracker picks up Bella's scent. And Rosalie says a line that is honestly maybe one of the more brilliant parts in the movie. And she goes, why? Who is she to me? And, like, honestly, girl, preach. Yeah. Because she, you're right. You're out here, like causing conflict with other vampires for the sake of this girl that you don't even have any chemistry with and don't pretend like you actually like each other. So Rosalie is correct. Well, and here's another thing that would have also been more interesting if we even explored this as a question is like, how many of how many girls has Edward done this to? Right. He's like, how a hundred years old? Like, uh, yeah, if he was supposedly born in 1901, then when this movie came out in 2008, he's 107. So here you have this 107-year-old man who's been 17, an angsty 17-year-old for 100 years or, you know, 90-something years. It's like, wouldn't it be more... It would have even been more interesting if, you know, Rosalie was like, oh my gosh, Edward, this is how many girls are you yeah. going to do this? This like, is the fourth time. Right. Or and, whatever. And that would have been more interesting for Bella, who doesn't even have that question. Like, here you have this immortal man. Like, how many other girls have you been smelling and right. saying that you can't read their minds and that you're you're one in a million? And, you know, and yeah. it's even... No, not for Bella, because she's such a weird character, but, like, every other teenage girl would have those questions... Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, um, all of that to say, there's no character arc that is executed or completed by our protagonists. So, um, really, the half point that I gave is for some of the minor characters, um, such as Jessica, Rosalie. Um, There are some good moments, I think, with Charlie, Bella's dad. 
Um, but overall, it's just difficult to root for protagonists like Bella and Edward. So half a point out of three. All right. All right. So our next category is aesthetics. So a possible score of two. I actually gave this half a point out of Ooh. two for aesthetics. Um, there's a couple things that are horribly wrong with this movie. I think um, the CGI is very dated. It does not pass the uh, the 2023 test. Um, the even the opening scene with the deer and the vampire that we later learn vampire attacks this deer. It looks like a man just hugs it and that's it. Like I was expecting something a little more ferocious looking, but nope, just going to give a deer a hug and then cut to black. Um, the just in general, the, the score really is, I think is just really off putting it doesn't really fit with the scenes. Like while you're watching it, you're supposed to be feeling some emotional way. And the score just is completely dissonant with that. I just have a, have a problem with that. I think in the, like the scene where Bella goes into the biology class, like that whole thing is the music and what you're watching is just so odd. Like it doesn't fit at all. It's just so bizarre. I think that a lot of people, well, I think that in general, Twilight kind of started this weird trend and parody trend with their weird color correction. Everything just looks really green and blue, blue and yeah. it's just, it looks completely unnatural. And I understand that like you make aesthetic choices, like creative choices of how you want the film to look, but it just seems very, makes everybody, everybody look kind of sick and gaunt and it's just so odd it it makes your characters and your environment feel even more weird than the portrayal that you're watching uh it's just really off-putting the scene with the car crash where edward <laughs> saves bella yeah is like the least action action scene i think i've ever seen and then just tyler at the car like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then edward jumps in front of the car and saves Bella. Wow. And it just, it almost is like, it feels like a throwaway moment. Like, it doesn't even seem like this big impactful moment. And then just the the cuts between shots are just weird and the editing's really bizarre. It's just so odd. And then the flashback scene when Edward, or is it when Jacob is telling Bella about the Cullens being there before and like you don't know what they're fan and there's like this weird flashback scene where they're all dressed in like 1800s garb or something it's so corny like it just looks super corny and there's like smoke machines I just all of it just looks stupid like it all the whole aesthetic of the film just seems weird and bizarre and it almost feels like you're are you watching a parody or a B movie or are you not? Because I can't tell if they want me to take this seriously or is this really like a spoof film and it's being packaged as this blockbuster and I'm being hoodwinked here. <laughs> it's just so odd. It's a big trick. The combat scene at the end, the end climax with this big combat, the shots and the editing is just weird. There's this weird filter over the, the, 
film. It's I know it's not film, it's digital, but there's this weird filter over I everything. I actually think that this might have been filmed on film. I'm actually going to look this up. Okay. And just the flashbacks that are happening with that scene and the music that's happening with that scene, it's all just so odd. It feels like the mood of the film aesthetically and just feels like an angsty teen made it on their computer in their basement at the emerging era of YouTube. And if it was made by an angsty teen in the emerging era of YouTube, that would be, it would be a pretty good film, but it's, it's not, it's a Hollywood production and just the standards I feel like should be a little higher than what you're getting. Did you find out? Yes. It was shot on film using an Aeroflex 435 camera. Oh, well, there you go. So So it was filmed on actual film. Um, Also the close-ups. There's all these like horrible close-ups of these eyes. Yeah. And just faces. And it's just so unpleasant to look at because everybody's facial expressions are generally not pleasant because they're looking really angsty or they look, their brows are all furrowed. And I mean, it's just none of it. It's just nice to look at or pleasing to look at. I gave it half a point though, because the two things that I, people worked very hard on, and I do think they deserve credit. The costumes are all very good. They're period, they're to the time, you know, 2000s, early 2000s, mid 2000s. They're, you know, somebody was very diligent in making sure that the characters all looked like they dress in the same world and come from the same world. And I mean, even the way that, um, the the Dr. Cullen, the way that he dresses feels very much like that older vampire kind of look with the way his hair is done and, and things like that. And then you have Edward that, you know, I, it's like a more modern interpretation of that look. Even that I think was just done very creatively and it's done very well and somebody put a lot of thought into it. Um, the characters all print very well in the wardrobe that they have. Their lines are really, really nice looking. The one I didn't like was the, the one Cullen that shows up in all white in the school scene. He's got the dark, the dark, like buzzed Emmett, hair. Emmett. Yeah. I thought that was really bizarre. That and I think the problem with that too, is he's a very large man. Yeah. So that all white just makes him look even larger. And I think and that's it's very stark. It is. And with the, with the color correction and the color of the film, it stands out really drastically. It's almost kind of hurts your eyes a little bit. Um, but I do think that, that aesthetic look fits him mm-hmm. as a character. So Overall, I think the costumes are done very well. Um, the The wardrobe's done very well. And then the set and the set dressing is just done very well. The The world of forks that they built, the school sets, the bookstore sets, the even the restaurant where Belle and Edward have dinner, the lighting in that is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels very organic. It's probably one of the best aesthetically pleasing scenes of the film. Um, you know, but the baseball scene, the the... The costumes are really eclectic and, and kind of look kind of thrown together and look com- like they come from different time periods. But then it's just ruined by this weird like green and gray film filter, mm-hmm. which now we would call it a filter. You know, then you'd call it, you know, a film or a screen or a gel or whatever. And, you know, it's just it's this odd look to the film overall. But those two things I really did appreciate when we were watching this film. Um, I also think it's very difficult to make vampires look pale without them looking like a Halloween costume pale. And I think they did a good job with the makeup. Although I did, 
I did notice a couple times with Edward in particular, they have all these extreme close-ups of his face. And I, I at least noticed there were times where his ears looked so pink because they forgot oh, to put makeup on catch. his ears. They put it on, you know, his face, but then they missed his ears. Maybe they thought that the hair was going to cover more than it did, or maybe it came off when they were, you know, readjusting or in between shots. And that's not anything that I think deserves harsh criticism because that's kind of just the nature of, of filming. Um, but I do did want to kind of give some credit there, but it's very difficult to appreciate that because the rest of the aesthetics are just so garish and, and tough to kind of digest. So half a point out of two for aesthetics. Okay. Uh, for me, for aesthetics, um, out of two points, I gave it one point. Um, I do want to talk about the bad things first, and then we'll the few things that I, I did like. So let me talk about color temperature for a, a minute. Um, naturally, different light sources have different color temperatures. It's just the way the science works. So indoors, your incandescent bulbs are going to have a yellowy or orange color temperature. Fluorescents naturally give off a green color temperature. And outdoor light, so sunlight, you would think sunlight, big yellow, bright. But actually, sunlight gives off a blue color temperature. That is the science behind the way that the light is, I guess, dispersed. I don't know the, all the science behind it, but I do know that out, like sunlight actually has a blue color temperature. However... I think what they were going for with the look of this movie was the fact that Forks is supposed to be the rainiest place in the continental U.S., so we're going to make it look as gloomy as possible. And by doing that, they leaned really hard into the blue-green. I don't know if they never color-corrected their film through the lens of the camera because it would, filming in Forks, Washington, have a very blue color temperature naturally. So I'm not sure if the blue was just never color corrected or if they added additional blue either via uh, filter or gel or in post. It's too much. They should have color corrected this more to a natural white. You get this effect and it's really unfortunate because a lot of the sets and locations that they've chosen for this movie are beautiful landscapes. Forks, Washington looks like a gorgeous place. I'm not going to lie. It really does. And that's another thing I noticed that the shots of the woods and surrounding landscape were really gorgeous, gorgeous. looking shots. And then like, especially when you move toward like the beach, you know, the La, P La Push beach that they go to in the film and, you know, it's supposed to be part of the Quileute Reservation and all that good stuff. Gorgeous landscapes that are all made to look very samey because they're all the same color blue-green. And I think it was a disservice to the aesthetics of this movie to lean so hard into that for the sake of maybe an emotional response. Because Forks is gloomy, Bella is gloomy, Edward is gloomy, everything is super gloomy. And I think while they were trying probably to go for a sense of cohesion, where that everything looks the way you're supposed to feel or everything looks the way that your protagonists feel, it ended up being a disservice because you can't distinguish any of your outdoor sets because they all look the same. So I think 
they leaned too hard into something and the execution ended up going against what it could have done. Um, so that's my color temperature rant for a minute. The few times that we don't have the blue looks awesome. For example, the scene where Bella is saved in Port Angeles by Edward from the assaulty dudes or whatever, and then they show up at the restaurant when Jessica and Angela are leaving, and Edward's like, I'm going to make sure she eats, and the girls are like, yeah, okay, <laughs> and then they go in and have dinner, right, and nothing is blue. You get these nice, warm tones from the lights in there. And, you know, you even though it's very shadowy, it's like nice shadow. It's like comforting kind of shadowy. And I'm like, this, why couldn't we have different looks like this through the whole movie? Why did we have like two scenes in the whole movie that are not blue and then everything else is blue? You're, if we want to be realistic, in the school, everything should look more greeny white instead of blue because there's fluorescence in there so if you're just wanting to make things look more like exaggerated natural then why didn't you do that in the school no you didn't you just slapped the same blue filter on inside the school building as outside the school building now things are not making sense now i know that these were intentional choices that i don't like anyway moving on to something else um the edits and cg atrocious atrocious i know it's 2008 i know you're probably thinking 2008 okay look i think we talked about this when we were watching it iron man came out in what 2008 2008 iron man cg and effects still stand up do twilights nope hold on tight spider monkey while i zoom in weird sped up film yeah weird frame per second situation here my feet aren't touching the ground. I can tell that Edward's on a wire when he's climbing up this tree because yeah. he's like swinging away from it. Right. Like, right. This had to have been done. You know what they could have done? They should have green screened, put a tree sideways. Okay. Fake tree. Make it a fake tree. He can climb, crawl up it like it's vertical. Make it horizontal. Okay. Crawl, crawl, crawl. Okay. Wow. Now we actually look like we're getting somewhere. Then you take that section of tree, that fake trunk, and you, you, you patch it onto the real forest. Nobody would have known. You know, nobody would have known. Back in like 2008 era, there was a YouTuber. I don't know if he's doing anything now. He, I think he actually went to work in Hollywood, if I remember correctly. But, you know, who knows? That was a long time ago. But. I believe if I'm remembering correctly, correctly, his name was Freddie Wong, mm -hmm. and he did all of his work in yep. After Effects, yep. and his work looked better than Twilight. So it's not, and it's not that, I actually don't know what the budget for this movie is, so let me not say something that's incorrect. However, His I budget feel, was larger than a YouTuber. Right. If you, if a YouTuber can be doing this, then your box office film could be doing this. There are other solutions to CG than this weird blurring, blurring the people to make them look fast. Are we Sonic now? <laughs> like, gotta go fast, I guess. It's just so strange. What they should have done is they could have slowed... Okay, this is just my idea. You film your landscape, 
you film your actor going through the landscape, you put your actor at like normal speed and then make everything else seem like it's blurring by. Well, actually, I don't know. With the with the way that they handled CG, that probably still would have come across weird. Either way, there were solutions to the problems and they just didn't make they just chose not I mean, to. there's there's films that are <clears throat> 50 years older than Twilight mm-hmm. that are more convincing. True. Okay, so now I want to talk about some of the things I do like about aesthetics. Um, the score, I'm not a huge fan of. However, the soundtrack of the movie, pretty decent. We get two really good <laughs> Paramore songs. Um, and then there's like a few other things, not necessarily things that I like gravitate towards, but, you know, uh, I you get like... Um, like, there's, like, a Muse song and, like, other, like, decent songs. I think there's, like, a Foo Fighters song or something. Like, you know, like, decent music from artists that are known and established. And so, like, okay, we did pretty good on the soundtrack. We did all right. Score, eh, I'm not impressed, but, like, it's okay, I guess. Um, however, uh, I really want to spend some time talking about I want to echo costumes. Yes, I felt like costumes fit characters very well. The only two problems I have with costumes in the entire movie are Esme's wig, Esme Cullen's wig, does not, you can tell it's a wig, and the same with Jacob. However, they're such minor characters that it's like, eh, at least it's not Bella, you know? Um, so two bad wigs that I could notice. Um, but otherwise, I felt like costuming was really good. All of the All of the costumes felt like they were natural to those characters. Like, this is what this person would wear. It didn't feel like anybody was playing dress-up. Um, but the set and set dressing, particularly in Bella's home and the Cullen home. So, in Bella's home, when I like the touches about, like, when she first moves in, back into her old room that she hasn't been in since she was a child. And Charlie has kept all of her old, like, childhood mementos her little drawings and stuff those are good touches that make for that moment this feel like a real house with a real family and real history behind it and then you go to the cullen house and you get little tidbits of things that like kind of establish the fact that this family has been a family for a very long time all of the graduation caps lined up i really appreciated that that prop um and or i guess it's a piece of the set but that the way that it just looked aesthetically very pleasing Mm -hmm. and yet it looked like something that people that have been around for several hundred years would be innovative enough and and come up with that and that it, it just it looked like something that a family would have on their wall. Right. And yet it also just was really clever concept. Like somebody in the props department or in the set department came up with that. And Mm -hmm. it was just really well done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just little things like the Cullen's kitchen looking so pristine and knowing that it's because they never use it. Right. They never use it. They have no need to. And they even say that. I think Emmett says something like, first time we've used the kitchen or whatever. Um, or somebody says something. I don't remember. But it that makes sense. And it's like a nice touch. You know, it doesn't look lived in. Um, and then you go over to Edward's room and there's no bed because 
he don't need to sleep. And then he's got this eclectic music collection of like vinyls and there's a few cassette tapes and it's like things that are even in 2008 completely like out of date, out of style. And in 2008, vinyl had not really yet come back into style. It hadn't. You could still find like really nice vinyls at Goodwill. Yeah. So, but it was like, you know how probably in the last... I don't know, 10 years, I'd say like early 2010s, mid 2010s is when people really started being like, vinyl's cool, let's start collecting it again. So when this movie came out in 2008, people were not thinking that way. Right. So it's a cool note to like, oh yeah, Edward's been around since before vinyl was a thing. So it would make sense that he has collected these things through the years. So those moments, I feel like those things in the set and set dressing, um, you know, even just stuff about the prom, you know, like maybe it doesn't make sense from a plot standpoint, but those things have more character and tell more story than a lot of the dialogue does. Isn't that sad? Yeah. When like your physical sets and props tell me more about the world than the dialogue your characters are speaking to me. So while it's unfortunate on the side of storytelling, it's really a huge plus in aesthetics. So that's why I had to give it a full point. Alrighty, so next category is personal taste and preference. I don't think this will come as any surprise to anyone, but out of two possible points, I gave this a zero (laughs) out of two. Um, This was quite possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I mean, and I, we watched Persuasion for our last season, Um, but I do have to admit it was more palatable than Persuasion. And I think part of it was because it's a product of its time. So you can give it a pass for a lot of stuff. And like you said, a lot of stuff has been memed and and overly criticized and to the point where I don't think anybody takes this movie seriously anymore. So if you were to watch it now and you'd never seen it before, you're not you don't have any big expectations. You're not expecting some revelation, revolutionary, amazing work of art for a mm-hmm. film. You're expecting some campy 2000s teen fad that rushed through and has now died um but this movie to me it epitomizes everything i hated about the trend hopping bandwagon riding part of being a teenager that's fair everybody when this movie came out was just all over the books and the movies and just all hopped on that bandwagon and i'm not i'm not in any way saying that I was a hipster or I was not like other girls or anything like that. (laughs) But that was not, I wasn't one of those people in school or as a teenager, but I definitely just had no interest in this. Um, And even now it's the reason I really had no interest in Twilight when it was coming out and popular was because I really wasn't a big romance fan, but you can't even say that this is a romance. It's just so bad that it's not even like, oh, it's a love story and I'm just not into love stories. Like, no, there's great love stories out there that I was a fan of as a kid. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, but this isn't even in the same, I don't think you can even classify it in the same category. Um, Plus, I have a genuine enjoyment of mythical creatures, fantasy, works of fiction, things Mm -hmm. like that. And all of those stories really have been forever marred by just the existence of Twilight. The way that it repackaged vampires, you know, I can't 
be upset about it because as an author, you have a right to change myth and lore and create new characters. So I'm not in any way criticizing Stephanie Meyer for trying to do something new, but the way that this book and film changed what people think and know about the the real mythical legend and stories and tales of vampires has completely changed. And I don't like that. I really don't. I think that vampires are monster stories and they're supposed to be scary. And Bram Stoker's Dracula was a horrible story and it wasn't somebody vampires. The appeal of vampires as a monster was there's nothing redeeming about these people is that they're horrible and they're evil and they kill people and they're, they're, Horrible monsters. And now we've tried to take, we've tried to keep them monsters and yet not just keep the monsters and make them a new fascinating creature to learn about. Now we've t- kept the monsters and then tried to justify what previously made vampires so evil and hateable. And now we've tried to take some of those qualities and keep them wrong and yet repackage them and make them attractive to young teenagers. And I mean, we can, we can argue the morals and ethics of that process all day long. And this, I'm not getting on a moral soapbox here, but just as a storytelling, retelling and repackaging the, this historic villain of the vampire into this sparkly, brooding, angsty teenager that's not even scary I just really don't like that. And I think it's a disservice to, you know, a longstanding myth and to people that genuinely like mythology and mythical creatures and fantasy, you know, everyone has a right to change and reinterpret and create something new that I'm not in any way knocking that. Sure, be creative, but it did change when you're like, oh, I like, you know, stories about monsters and sea monsters and werewolves and what, oh, like Twilight? No, not like Twilight at all. Actually, the exact opposite of Twilight. I like stories where the the werewolves are bad guys and there's hunters trying to kill them. Like, I like those stories. And so forever, I had to stop saying anything about whether or not I thought vampires or werewolves were cool because then everybody the just said... so strong. And yeah. they would think that, oh, you're the kind of person that likes Twilight. Like, no, I actually don't like Twilight. I like the stories where it was the original monsters of, like, Van Helsing and, and you know... Even in Marvel Comics, they had interpretations of vampires and werewolves that were, you know, scary and dangerous. And, you know, it just took all of the excitement and appeal of these these myths and just made them something that I really didn't enjoy. Um, so a little bit of a little bit of a soapbox there, but not trying to, to be preachy or anything. So I apologize if that's off-putting. But in general, this film as a standalone, even aside from all of that, I just I really just didn't enjoy it. Now, I might, you know, watch it again if I had, you know, some alcohol alcohol, or really for the purpose of like doing something like this. We got more movies in the series. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was fun to watch it for the purpose of this podcast because I had a reason to watch it and I was allowed to be critical of it. Um, So I would watch it again just to really provide live commentary about how bad it is, but I wouldn't watch it again because I genuinely enjoyed watching the film. So zero out of two for me. Okay. Uh, For me, out of two points for personal taste and preference, um, I gave it one point. And a lot of that does lie in the fact that I do have nostalgia attached to Twilight as a franchise. Um, I was not 
like obsessed in the way that uh, a lot of teenagers were around my age, but I liked the books and I liked the movies okay as a teenager. As I've gotten older, I look back at that and I'm like, wow, you know, there were so many problems that maybe I didn't entirely identify when I was that age. Um, it's undeniably bad media. It is. And I'm not in any way saying, you know, my rose-colored glasses means that I can say that, you know, this was literature that should be taught in English classes or any. Maybe it could be used as an example of things you should not write. But it does remind me of, like, a fairly happy part of my life and childhood um, and adolescence and just simpler times, you know. Uh, life was not so complicated at the time. So, you know, when the, when the worst argument that I was having was Team Jacob or Team Edward, like, you know, it just, there's like, I have like a little bit of a soft spot for that period. So... And, you know, that association with Twilight comes from that period. So that's why I genuinely have to give it at least a point, um, because I do look back on it with some fondness, um, <laughs> despite the fact that it's not good media. It's not good storytelling. The characters are not admirable, nor were they people that I looked up to, thankfully, um, or should have looked up to. Um, but because of that nostalgia, and this is the category where that nostalgia is allowed to play a factor, so I'm allowing it to, um, but I'm giving it one point out of two because of that. Yeah, I think that's, and that's why we have this as a category, because, just for those reasons. Uh, so last category is creativity, so total possible score of one. This was the hardest for me to score because... Some factors we take into account in this category are, was, did this media do something new or unpredictable? Was it a milestone? Was it iconic? And, you know, is Twilight iconic? Is it iconic for all the wrong reasons? Is this film creative or do all the creativity points just go to the source material of the book? So it was tough for me to decide what to, what to, what credit do you give in this category you know, fantasy teen romances are not new. A, a teenage girl falling in love with a horrible monster who loves her too. And they have this weird, you know, romance. That That's not new. It's not new. Uh, it's been around forever. Um, what is it? Uh, Perseus and the sea monster and the, the that Greek myth where, well, I can't even remember the girl's name, who was chained to a rock and, you know, Sacrifice to the sea monster and Perseus comes, saves her. I mean, I like, like Greek myths have all kinds of stories where, where humans and, and monsters have, you know, some kind of relationship and, you know, maybe not in the best ways, but anyways, so this feels, this movie, when we were watching it and having never seen it before and not having not seen it in its heyday, it really felt like a B movie. Like the acting, the the color temperature, the plot, the dialogue, all of it really felt like a B-movie. And I think the budget for this film was really, really low, and it made a ton of money because the budget was so low. And I remember seeing interviews of the cast, even like recently, 
how they've said that nobody expected this movie to be successful. Right. And certainly nobody expected it to be the phenomenon that it was when it was released. And all the, not just the teenage girls that were, you know, team Edward, but all the moms that were team Edward and like how bizarre that was. And nobody planned that when they set out to make this movie. And I think it shows, which is not a bad thing. Um, I think it shows that the actors and the actresses were all just pretty humble and doing their job and there to do their work. And I think that's, that's admirable. But the fact that this feels like a B movie and it should have never seen any success, all of the criticism that we gave really should have kept this movie from being successful. So for that, I think that the fact that it survived in spite of all of its atrocities and is still being talked about, I gave it half a point out of one for creativity. I think that's being extremely generous because I don't think this film specifically does anything creative, but the fact that we do a lot for if something was iconic or a milestone or a critical piece of media, and I don't think this is necessarily a critical work of film that should be, you know, immortalized for generations to come by any means, but it was extremely successful and did make a huge impact in pop culture and in fantasy teen fiction moving forward. I think that Twilight, the way that, you know, years later, The Hunger Games brought post-apocalyptic media to the forefront and made that a genre in teen fiction that was successful. Twilight really opened the door for teen, what I guess you would call it supernatural fiction, meaning, you know, vampires are, you know, quote unquote, supernatural or fantasy fiction or mythical creatures for teen fiction to have that genre and it be successful and marketable. Um, There were a ton of media after Twilight that kind of rode on its coattails. And so for that reason, even though I think that credit belongs to the books, this film helped and assisted with that whole movement in teen media. And so for that, I give it half a point out of one. Okay. Um, And to echo you in a bit, I did give it a full point for creativity and not because I think the story is creative, but because of all of the reasons that you mentioned. I think the phenomenon that was Twilight and the fact that we got five movies based on the four books and the success of those movies was stable and high through the entirety of the film releases did sort of open the door to, like you said, that sort of wave of that sort of young adult fiction with the supernatural um, sort of or fantasy with the romance elements, those sorts of things. Um, It was not something that we were seeing a lot in the mid-2000s film-wise. Teenagers were not going to movies to watch films about vampires and werewolves. And so the fact that this was now the new trend or thing for teenagers to consume of course other authors were going to jump on this because I'm sure the idea 
of this sort of genre has been around for long enough. All these authors that have these stories in the back of their heads for probably years are like, it's now or never. And probably found success, maybe, of course, not to this degree that Stephanie Meyer did, but found success because after you've read Twilight, what's the next thing? Let me find something similar because it was just the trend of consumption at that point for, you know, especially young girls, but I think, you know, even probably some teenage dudes were, you know, on that sort of trend. Or they wanted to find a male version of Twilight, you know, right. something that was a little more appealing to their demographic and that had the vampires and the werewolves and their war between the two or whatever, but it was more a more male-dominated protagonist and storyline versus a female, sure. you know. Yeah, so because of that, it is iconic in the simplest sense of the word. When you think back to that era of media with young adults, Twilight is always going to be there. It's just going to be. And from 2008 to I think the final film was released in 2012 or 2013, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, they pumped these movies out as soon as they realized that first movie was, wow, this has now become, swept the world, worldwide phenomenon we must capitalize on this movement on this momentum so they pumped those movies out whether or not those actors wanted to do that i'm sure they realized the profitability of continuing the series at that point so they did so because of that because it is iconic in the simplest sense of the word iconic i had to give it a full creativity point Okay, so... So your final score? My final score is for Twilight is 1 out of 10. <laughs> Mine is 4 out of 10. I was a little more generous, um, but I still think this might be my lowest score. Yeah, this is definitely mine. I think it matches my persuasion score, actually. Yeah. So... So there you have it, folks. Um, final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't really have any. Okay. All right, you ready for some lightning round? I am ready for some lightning round. Okay. Favorite character? None of them. Um, the deer at the beginning <laughs> that dies. Because it was put out of its misery before the movie started. <laughs> no, I, if I have to pick a character... I don't know. They're all really annoying. Um, I think if I had to pick a character, I would pick Anna Kendrick's character just because I, I like Anna Kendrick and I think she does a good job, but not because I like the character. Oh, okay. So if I had, I just, I like Anna Kendrick, so I would pick her. <laughs> okay. I would pick Charlie. Yeah. He's I, probably my favorite character. I don't even like him. Okay. I don't like him. I don't mind the, maybe, maybe I would pick the vampire the blonde vampire that doesn't like Bella because Rosalie. I don't like Bella. Okay. Maybe I would pick her. You and Rosalie be chilling. Maybe. On Bella. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like making fun of her uh -huh. in front of her face. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Maybe I'd pick. Yeah. So I'd pick her. Like Rosalie. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, least favorite character. Bella. Okay. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I, it's a toss up between Bella and Edward. I think I'd pick Bella. Yeah, me too. You know, I really don't dislike Jacob as a character. He's right. extremely minor and you don't know anything about him, but you don't know anything about anyone. So 
I really don't mind him as a character. And I think genuinely, I think Taylor Lautner does a decent job. Yeah, he does a great job as Jacob. Like, Jacob is one of my favorite characters in the series, mostly because of Taylor Lautner's portrayal of him. Um, But he's just so minor in the first movie that I didn't really... I think of the first movie characters, I like Charlie more. Yeah. So maybe I would pick Jacob as my favorite character, but not because there's anything to really know or like about him per se, but I think Taylor Lautner does do a good job. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Favorite scene? Do you have one? These are really hard questions. I'm so sorry. I think my, I think my favorite scene is when, is the scene where Bella comes out of her house and she slips on the, (laughs) on the The ice. ice. And is that when she tells her dad, thanks for the time? That scene is probably my favorite scene. And the, and genuinely, because it's the one interaction in the film that feels organic. Mm -hmm. It feels like just a natural interaction between a dad and his daughter or Mm -hmm. daughter and her dad. So like genuinely, I think that scene is like the best scene in the movie even though it's not anything remarkable and it has yeah. nothing to do with the plot. My favorite scene, I think, is the scene where uh, Bella goes with her classmates to La Push Beach and meets up with Jacob and his friends. And Jacob is telling her the, like, why everybody, why his friends said that the Cullens weren't welcome here. And I think that's actually one of the better storytelling moments of the entire first movie um, is just... Jacob being like, haha, it's really stupid and obviously fake, but like, here's the legend. And Bella, like, actually, and it's because she doesn't really say much. She's just kind of listening. But I like that scene and how it does, it is a little bit of like a spark for like Bella to go back and do something. It's a spur of action, um, as insignificant as it ends up being in the end. But I think that that scene actually feels like fairly natural and is like a nice storytelling point from a viewer's perspective because you get a lot of good like backstory information under the guise of this is the dumb legend. Here's what I don't like about that scene Mm -hmm. is that once you find out about Jacob, which I know because it's pop culture, not because I've seen the second movie or anything, but Jacob has a secret and this is not a spoiler, but Jacob has a secret that the Cullens It's like he clearly knows the Cullens have a secret and the Cullens therefore know that he has a secret or his family has a secret. So why would he stir the pot to try and expose the Cullens when they can just expose him? So if I remember correctly, Jacob does not know that the werewolf stuff is real. Safety from spoilers. Next question, favorite set or, uh, like, landscape? Um, I think the beach is really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cold, and mm-hmm. I would not go swimming in it because I'm from the south it's and the Atlantic. It's very like, Pacific Northwest beach. Yeah. Like, the big rocks I think it's a and good, things. And... It's a good touch. And I do think the, um, the Cullen's house is actually done really well. Yeah. Um, like, Edward's room and, um, you know, the hallways when they're walking up the stairs and the graduation caps and the kitchen. I, I think that's done very well, too. But I think that I would say the beach. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, next. Would you, you didn't ra- answer oh, the question. Oh, I have to answer. 
Okay, okay, okay. Mine is probably, um... Probably the Cullens house. I just think, like I talked about in aesthetics, like I think it tells more about them to us as a viewer than like anything else in the in the story. So, and I kind of like that it's literally like in the middle of the woods. Like nobody knows that it's there. I still think they should have had Edward sleep in a coffin <laughs> or hang upside down. <laughs> like a bat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, where would you rather work? At the hospital with Carlisle at the police station with Charlie, or at Forks High School with everyone else? Hmm. Hmm. I work in healthcare, mm -hmm. and I swore I would never work in a hospital again, so I don't think I could work there. Um, I, although working with Dr. Cullen would not be... I feel like he'd be a pretty good boss. Yeah, he seems like a pretty chill dude. a cool dude. dude to work with. Police, uh, I don't know. I mean, the high school sounds horrible. It sounds absolutely horrible. But I, I think I'd pick the high school because you get like a school schedule. Like you get the summers off. True. And all the kids at Forks High School are really nice because they just welcome Bella with open arms. So the school, the kids can't be terrible. You know, they're like the absolute opposite of what typical high school students are like. Yeah. Their, pro their budget for prom's really great. Yeah. So I'm sure they don't have any problems with funding. So I'd probably go with the high school. Okay. I don't know I, what I would do. Would I have to pick my job? Yeah. You could pick a job. Teach. Sure. Yeah. Or, you know, I could be the school nurse. Yeah, that's true. There you go. I could do that. Or I could do, like, I don't know, paint the football field, put the, the white lines on the football there field. You go. I could just do that. Yeah. It'd be easy. Um, I think I would probably work at the police station with Charlie, and I'd be like, just give me some admin job. Like, I'll just data entry or file like it's whatever you file all the police reports and stuff yeah it's not i mean if they're a tiny town they're probably not bustling in there you know so one thing i didn't understand is the the cullen dr cullen is also the coroner did they say that he shows up at the police office to examine the body oh maybe how's he doing both he, is he the question. coroner or is he the medical examiner and he also works at the hospital? I don't know. Good question. Doesn't make any Maybe sense. Maybe Stephanie Meyer just didn't know how those things work. Like she doesn't know how foster kids work either. <laughs> right. So. So maybe that's the case. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Would you rather be a vampire or a werewolf? Well, I don't know anything about Twilight werewolves. Okay. So I'd be going in sight unseen i guess but probably a werewolf because i think the vampires are so lame Same. The, the werewolves have to be cooler right Same. yes are they, they? Are. okay they are if you ever want to watch new moon or if i ever subject you to new moon for the for the podcast you're gonna i think you'll enjoy that movie a little more because it's very literally like very little focused on the vampires yeah so if uh, any of our listeners want us to do New Moon next, you Tell can us. let us know. <laughs> okay, well, that's it. Thank you for joining this episode. Uh, and welcome to season two. 
Uh, we hope you had a good time. If you didn't, feel free to tell us why. Links to our show notes, Patreon, social suggestion box are all on our website at lionandmousepodcast.com. You can also review this episode on whichever podcast platform you prefer and let us know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll catch you in the next one.